Chapter thirty seven of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter thirty seven. The Futile Flagellet. But Simon MacTaggart did not pipe wholly in vain. If Olivia was unresponsive, there was one at least in Doom who was his wholeheartedly and mungo when the flageolet made its vain appeal felt a personal injury that the girl should subject his esteemed impersonation of all the manly graces and virtues so to call them to the insult of indifference as the melodies succeeded each other without a sign of response from overhead he groaned and swore with vexation and anger ye can be bummin away with your chanter he said as he stood listening in the kitchen her ladyship wouldna hae ye playin there lang your lane a season sign but their days is done wi there's nae lugs for a turling at the winnock war there's nae love at least wi mistress lavy annapla heard the music with a superstitious terror her eyes threatened to leap out of her head and she clutched the arm of her adorer Gaweh, he told her, shaking her off with a contempt for her fears. Are ye still i the daft Halen notion that it's a ghaist that's playing there? That was a story he made up himself, and the need for it is done. There's nothing wor nor simmactaggart oot there i the garden, wastin' his wounds on a woman that's o'er muckle taen up i the new with the willy ways of a French snack drawer that hasna the smedem to gie her a toozlin at the oor she needs it maist ay ay co away with your chantasim ye'll play hooly and fairly ere ever ye played i the look o levy lament and her head against your shoulder again when it seemed at last the player's patience was at an end the little servitor took a lamp and went to the door he drew the bolts softly prepared to make a cautious emergence with a recollection of his warm reception before he was to have a great surprise for there stood simon mactaggart leaning against the jam a figure of dejection dod cried mungo ye fair started me there with your chafts like clay and your ear linton if i hadna been told when i was doon wi your coat the day that ye was out in the boot again i would ha taen you for a wraith the chamberlain said nothing there was something inexpressibly solemn in his aspect as he leaned wearily against the side of the door his face like clay as mungo had truly said and his eyes flaming in the light of the lantern the flageolet was in his hand he was shivering with cold and he was silent the silence of him was the most staggering fact for the little domestic who would have been relieved to hear an oath or even have given his coat colour to a vigorous shaking rather than be compelled to look on misery inarticulate simon looked past him into the shadows of the hall as a beggar looks into a garden where is no emission for him or his kind a fancy seized mungo that perhaps this dumb man had been drinking he's gay like a man o the rendon he said to himself peering cautiously but he never had a name for the glass though namely for the less is she in said the chamberlain suddenly without changing his attitude 
and with scanty interest in his eyes. "'Oh, ay, she's in sure enough,' said Mungo. "'Where else would she be but in?' "'And she'll have heard me,' continued the Chamberlain. "'I'll warrant ye,' said Mungo. "'What's wrong?' Mungo pursed out his lips and shook his lantern. "'Ye can be asking that,' said he. "'Good cans.' The Chamberlain still leaned wearily against the door-jamb, mentally whelmed by dejection, bodily weak as water. His ride on a horse along the coast had manifestly not been the most fitting exercise for a man new out of bed in the hands of his physician. "'What about the foreigner?' said he at length, and glowered the more into the interior as if he might espy him. Mungo was cautious. This was the sort of person who on an impulse would rush the guard and create a commotion in the garrison, he temporized. "'The foreigner,' said he, as if there were so many in his experience that some discrimination was called for. "'Oh, ay, the coont, a gay queer burkeyon. He's not away yet. He's sitting on his dope yet, waiting a dispensation of providence that'll give him a hees somewhere else.' "'Is he—is he with her?' said Simon. "'Oh, there boots, there boots,' admitted Mungo cautiously. "'There's nae doot the gay and chief got sin. "'He came back, and she found out what created the collies hangy.' "'Ay, man, and she kens that,' said the Chamberlain with unnatural calm. "'Dey does she brawly, though who she kens is mair no I can guess.' Monsieur Thripse was na him, and I'll gie my oath it was na me. Women are kittle-cattle, Mungo. That's whiles I think it a pity the old law against witchcraft was not still to the fore. And so she kent, did she? And nobody tell her. Well, well, he laughed softly, with great bitterness. Mungo turned the lantern about in his hand and had nothing to say. What's this I'm hearing about the baron? the baron and her, and her leaving, said the chamberlain. It's the glitz truth that, said the little man, and for the oats and insults ye'll had to ask Petulo Dunbai, for he's at the root of Dooms Donway, it's his decreet, and I'm not a day o'er soon, with the promise o' the red soldier, for the which I'm muckle obliged to you, factor. Dooms Don, they're goin' away in a week or two, and me and Anaplas to be left a hint to steak the jets. "'So they tell me, Mungo, so they tell me,' said the Chamberlain, neither up nor down at this corroboration. "'In a week or two, ay, ay, it'll be the Bowra langer then,' he went on, unconsciously mimicking the lowland Scots of the domestic. "'Do you ken the old song? Oh, Bessie Bell and Mary Gray, they were two bonny lassies, they baked a bower on yon burn bray, and thicket it over wi' rashes. He lilted the air with an indiscreet indifference to being heard within, and wish, man, wish, expostulated Mungo, if himself was to ken of me colloquying with ye at the door at this hour of the nicht, there would be old horny to pay. Oh, there's like to be that the way it is said the chamberlain, never lifting his shoulder from the doorpost, beating his leg with the flagellet, and in all with the appearance of a casual gossip reluctant to be going. Indeed, and by my troth, there's like to be that, 
he repeated. "'Do you think, by the look of me, Mungo, I am in a pleasant condition of mind?' "'Faith, and you look gay gash, sir,' said Mungo. "'There's no denying that of it.' The Chamberlain gave a little crackling laugh, and held the flageolet like a dirk, flat along the inside of his arm and his fingers straining around the thick of it. "'Gash,' said he, "'that's the way I feel. By God, you fetched down my coat to-day. It was the first hint I had that this damned dancing-master was here, for he broke Gile. Who would have guessed he was fool enough to come here, where, if we were in the key for it, we could easily set hands on him? He must have stolen the coat out of my own room, but that's not all of it, for there was a letter in the pocket of it when it disappeared. What was in the letter I am fair beat to remember, but I know that it was of some importance to myself, and of a solemn secrecy, and it has not come back with the coat. Mungo was taken aback at this, but to acknowledge he had seen the letter at all would be to blunder. "'A letter,' said he. "'There was nae letter that I saw.' and he concluded that he must have let it slip out of the pocket. The Chamberlain for the first time relinquished the support of the doorway, and stood upon his legs, but his face was more dejected than ever. "'That settles it,' said he, filling his chest with air. "'I had a small hope that maybe it might have come into your hands without the others seeing it, but that was expecting too much of a Frenchman. And the letter's away with it. My God, away with it!' baked a bower on yon burn bray, and thicked it over with rashes. "'For good's sake,' said Mungo, terrified again at this mad lilting from a man who had anything but a song upon his countenance. "'You're sure you did not see the letter?' asked the Chamberlain again. "'Hamnit's I telling ye,' said Mungo. "'It's a pity,' said the Chamberlain, staring at the lantern, with eyes that saw nothing. In that case you need not wonder that her ladyship in by should ken all, for I'm thinking it was a very informing bit letter, though the exact wording of it has slipped my recollection. It would be expecting overmuch of human nature to think that the foreigner would keep his hands out of the pouch of a coat he stole, and kept any secret he found there to himself. I'm saying, Mungo. Yes, sir. Somebody's got to sweat for this. There was so much venom in this utterance, and such a frenzy in the eye, that Mungo started. Before he could find a comment, the Chamberlain was gone. His horse was tethered to a thorn, he climbed wearily into the saddle and swept along the coast. At the hour of midnight his horse was stabled, and he himself was whistling in the rear of Petula's house, a signal the woman there had thought never to hear again. She responded in a joyful whisper from a window, and came down a few minutes later with her head in a capuchin hood. "'Oh, Sim, dear, is it you indeed? I could hardly believe my ears.' He put down the arms she would throw about his neck and held her wrists, squeezing them till she almost screamed with pain. He bent his face down to stare into her hood. Even in the darkness she saw a plain fury in his eyes. If there was a doubt about his state of mind, the oath he uttered removed it. "'What do you want with me?' she gasped, struggling to free her hands. "'You sent me a letter on the morning of the ball,' said he, a little relaxing his grasp, yet not altogether releasing her prisoned hands. "'Well, if I did,' said she. "'What was in it?' he asked. "'Was it not delivered to you?' 
I did not address it, nor did I sign it, but I was assured you got it. That I got it has nothing to do with the matter, woman. What I want to know is what was in it. Surely you read it, said she. I read it a score of times. My dear Sim, and cursed two score of times as far as I remember, but what I am asking now is what was in it. Mrs. Petullo began to weep softly, partly from the pain of the man's unconsciously cruel grasp, partly from a fear that she had to do with a mind deranged. "'Oh, Sim, have you forgotten already? It did not used to be that with the letter of mine.' He flung away her hands and swore again. "'Oh, Kate Cameron!' he cried. "'Damned black was the day I first clapped eyes on you. Tell me this, did your letter that was through all my dreams when I was in the fever of my wound, and yet I cannot recall a sentence of, say you knew I was Drimdarroch. It is in my mind that it did so. Black the day you saw me, Sim, said she. I'm thinking it is just the other way about, my honest man, Drimdarroch, and spy, it seems, and something worse. And are you feared that I have clipped it all to Madame Milk and Water? No, Simon, I have not done that. I have gone about the thing another way. Another way, said he. I think I mind you threatened it before myself, and doom is to be rooped at last to pleasure a wanton woman. A wanton woman, oh, my excellent tutor, my best respects to my old dominion. I'll see day about with you for this. Day about, said he. Good, sweet-tempered Kate, you need not flash. Your hand is played, your letter trumped the trick, and I am done. If that does not please your ladyship, you are ill to serve. And I would not just be saying that the game is finished altogether even yet, so long as I know where to lay my fingers on the Frenchman. She plucked her hands free, and ran from him without another word, glad for once of the sanctuary of a husband's door. End of chapter 37